0: Hey, it's Jade. Thanks for tuning in, and we're going to hop right into it. Episode 4 of On The Way is coming up, and remember, this is a WGC production. Growing up in Jackson, Mississippi, where the population was 80% black, DeZell never found it difficult to look around a room and find someone that reflected his identity. It wasn't until his parents placed him in a private Catholic high school that Dizelle learned that most of the outside world did not reflect the community that he was raised in. As a storyteller, Dizel saw the same lack of representation reflected in the stories that were told in mainstream film, television, and theater. Throughout Dizel's time at the University of San Diego, where he received his B.A. in Theater and Performance Studies, he worked alongside several on-campus organizations to incorporate distinct, diverse voices into the works he produced. As an MFA film and television production student at Loyola Marymount University, Dizelle works towards cultivating a network of collaborators who seek to share stories from underrepresented communities in a hope that he can foster a change and provide a voice to the unheard and a layer of authenticity within mainstream storytelling. Hey Dizelle, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing so good. Thank you for having me here.
0: It's been wonderful having you. So I just want to start off with just a general question. Where do you come from? Where are your roots?
1: That's a great question. So I am originally from Jackson, Mississippi. I lived there up until I went to college at the University of San Diego, which is obviously in San Diego. And then after that, I moved here to L.A. to attend LMU and pursue my career. So, yeah, Jackson is where I grew up, you know, eating all my favorite foods, learning how to cook for my mom and my dad, going on road trips to like New Orleans on weekends. Yeah, that's me.
0: <laughs> So is, you consider Jackson your home then, even though you live in L.A. right now?
1: It is definitely, I tell my family this and, you know, friends this all the time. It's one of those places where you have to go back for Christmas because what's Christmas without family, you know?
0: hmm I understand that. So can you just tell us what, what you do? What is your creative, quote-unquote, thing, so to speak?
1: Okay. So I have a couple of things that I actually like to... Um, explore through my creative energy. So one of those is acting. I'm an actor first. That's how I was introduced to storytelling was through acting. Then I love to direct, write, and produce.
0: How do you incorporate all three of those to make one big art, so to speak?
1: So the good thing for me is that they all go hand in hand together. And you know you can develop a project and write it and then you need to produce it so that you can direct it so that is the way that those things are streamlined but with the development of my new company deeply rooted pictures it's allowed me to uh, focus the energy Mm -hmm. uh, and streamline it in a way that i can write and develop a project and then go on to direct it or I can acquire a script that I can then direct or I could produce for other filmmakers. So what we're really big on is making sure that we are promoting and championing distinct and diverse voices and giving them the space to explore creativity and imagination, which I think is one of the more fulfilling things that I do.
0: And can you just tell us, how exactly did Deeply Rooted Pictures come to be? How did you come up with it? What was the process for developing it? Just share that with us, please.
1: So yeah, Deeply Rooted Pictures came to be, I actually remember the when I imagined it. So I took a class freshman year of college at University of San Diego, and I was in a math class. Kind of one of those math classes you take for people who don't need it for their uh, major, mm-hmm. a general core class. And it just, it's one of those where it's just boring, And so I was thinking, what else could I be doing today? And I just wrote on my business plan while I was sitting in class. I was like, I want to own a production company. I really like that. Then it became more focused as I progressed throughout. I majored in theater performance studies. So as I was progressing through, I realized that my passion extended outside of acting and into directing and writing. And what I didn't know is that I also loved producing at the time. I interned at the Old Globe Theater, which is where I got a glimpse into how the structure of a large production company worked. And what I really liked about their concept is that they have an artistic director there who is Barry Edelstein currently. And he basically gives the final okay for all the plays that are going to go into the season. And then he gets to choose one for his contract that he gets to direct. And I just thought, oh, that is so nice. It's kind of like having your cake at eating it too, you know? It's like, you still like to direct, but you also want to be able to have the say of what stories are being put out there, you know, what voices are being heard, what spotlights are being shown. And on top of that, you get to have at least one project that you can dive back into the creative aspects of it. You know, you don't get lost in the nuance of business. And I remember for Deeper the Pictures why our mission statement, is the way it is, is because as a black gay man, you just see a lack of representation. And I think that anyone can agree that you see a lack of challenging perspectives. Hollywood in general is saturated with the same ideas. And as you know, and most of your listeners know as well, is that every story has already been told. But what makes the other story special is the authenticity of the voice, which I think is one of a, it's a big point at the The Pictures, is authenticity. We try to do a lot of research. We try to make sure the people who are making the content and telling the stories have an air of authenticity about them that ground them and the work together. You don't want that traditional thing of someone writing and directing something they have no connection to and totally missing the mark on it. Um, So so that's why I feel like deeply rooted pictures was so important to me. Is because I saw a lack of authenticity in the mainstream content that was being produced.
0: That makes perfect sense, especially now during these particular times where we're currently having a reckoning with racism. It's very clear that Hollywood is one of those industries that does that. And as you've mentioned, there is a distinct lack of diversity in that realm. So as a Black gay man, when you participate in circles that aren't necessarily deeply-rooted pictures, how do you assert yourself And make sure that your voice is heard.
1: So what I do is I just speak from a place of truth. And I just make sure that I am layering what I am saying with my perspective and my own experiences. Because that is what contextualizes and gives your perspective that authentic texture, if that's that's making sense. So for instance, when I'm in a room and I'm talking with the director or the producer, and you know, I'm really big on casting, because I'm also an actor, so I'm very big on diverse casting. I hate, I absolutely hate when I see a casting notice that calls for a specific ethnicity, but there is no justification for it. For instance, in one of my classes at LMU, we had, I had a classmate who I love dearly. He's an amazing guy. And he wrote a script about this injured NASCAR driver. She used to be a NASCAR driver. So we go on the casting notice, and he's like, you know, Caucasian woman. And so I asked why. Mind you, this filmmaker is Korean. So it's like, okay, so why does she have to be white? And, you know, he said, well, because I don't know anyone other than white people who do NASCAR. And I was like was well, not necessarily true. And I was like, you have to remember that we are in an industry and we have careers that give us an extreme amount of privilege and power. Because people's reality are shaped off of the content and the stories that we produce. As fortunate or unfortunate as that may be. So I told him, you have the power to create that image for someone. I'm like... There are so many kids who are going to look at this. You know what I'm saying? Because kids always look at media and people in general look at media to think, what can I do? This kind of marks their limitation. So if all you're showing them is that they're never in these spaces, they're not represented or seen in these spaces, they'll never know that those are even options. I told them, "Think think about a little Korean kid or a black kid who can look at your work and say, oh, wow, look at this NASCAR driver. They're not white. That means I can do it too. Because movies have that effect on people. That's the great thing about films and TV is that you look to it for inspiration and then people go off to do amazing things. So th- that's very big on me is reminding people about the power that they have and that speaking from a a person who is in two marginalized communities that are not represented across mainstream media. It allows me to champion those voices.
0: Mm. Well, since you sort of talked about it a little, since... <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of your work does deal with Black life and Black struggle. For instance, at the time of this recording, Deeply Rooted p- Pictures released a short film, Blackbird, which talks about a Black student study abroad time in Italy and their sort of struggles that came with being a Black person in a country without a lot of Black American people. And so since your work does deal with topics like this, how do you emotionally deal with, such a, with heavy topics like that? How do you not let it overwhelm you since it is also your actual lived experience?
1: Um, that's a great question. Uh, How do I not let it overwhelm me? I think still having people in your life that love and support you. I think that that is always great. I have an amazing partner who I can come home to and, you know, he can add something different to my life than struggle. I think it's also remembering about the nuances of happiness that you can find within the stories, of joy that you can find within the stories, because nothing's one tone of, you know, despair and struggle. And that's something that I've been trying to do more with newer works, is how can we incorporate these, these lights into these dark spaces, if that makes sense. For instance, when this recording airs, there will be a film that will be Uh, Releasing through Deeply Rooted Pictures called Two Boys Dancing in the Night. And uh, that idea came about because I knew I wanted to do a story about the gay experience. But I wanted to show a different emotional tone. I find that when gay Black experiences are used in mainstream media, the perspective and tone is usually darker and more so about the struggle and uncomfortability of either having to come out or, you know, uh, bullying or harassment. I was like, but I mean, gays, we have so much fun. It's like we have (laughs) amazing brunches. You can come to us for the best restaurants. Like, we are always down to have a good time. We brighten up rooms. So I'm just like, why is that voice and perspective not being shown. And I wanted to experiment and do something with it. So I think just finding outlets is is a good thing to do and finding the happiness where you can.
0: Mm. Do you at all struggle with finding the balance between telling a happy story and then telling a story that does tell some of the more negative experiences? Because I know that personally as a writer, I do struggle with figuring out like, is this too much Black trauma? Where's the Black joy? But this is lack of, this this amount of Black joy sort of disregard the trauma. Like, how do you find the balance?
1: You know, that's a good question. I think that, for me, I I don't necessarily struggle with it because it just, I hate to say it like that, but it just comes to me with the balance. I guess it's like when you live a life of uh, with intersectionality of two marginalized identities. That's your whole life journey. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure you as a black woman can also identify with, you know, like you have to fight yeah. the struggle of being a woman, but then also being black. And so it's like, you know, you just live your life with with knowing that you can find the light into the tunnel. For instance, my second year at University of San Diego, I went through a time of you know depression and anxiety. Uh, overwhelming. And when I came out of that, I would always remember that there is a light at the end of a dark tunnel. I I say that all the time. And I knew I never wanted to go back to that space ever again, which is why I try to be as positive as I can. So I think when it comes to storytelling, it's like, okay, well, you know, there's this protagonist, and they're going through this tough time, and they're just really down on their luck, and they're facing all this adversity, but it's like you still have to add in those nuances of of happiness because those moments are what gives the world authenticity. Those moments help bring the characters to life and make them people instead of vehicles that you are using to tell the story. So I, I think that is how I, th- I think with it.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm going to roll it back just a little bit and uh, back to like a young Diesel's life. So <laughs> when did you know that you wanted to be an artist professionally?
1: I, I don't remember the exact age. I remember my mother's reaction.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were driving home one day from she picked me up from school. And I don't know what prompted me to say it, but I, I just told her, I was like, yeah, I want to become, I used to always say, I want to be a director. The only thing I used to want to be. And I just remember her being like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, I really like it. And I think for me, when I knew I really wanted to be professional, I think I do remember it. So most of my life was been in private education. And then I went to middle school at a public school. And it was my first time at a public school. And I just, as you Like, I don't know if you know or not, but it's a very different experience. It's kind of jarring.
0: No, I Uh, am familiar.
1: You kind of get the glimpse of the real world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it just every day was just so like, (laughs) it really changed me for, I think for the better. But needless to say, the school was not properly funded. I do not believe. Their auditorium, it was like not really maintained or kept. The stage wasn't really good for anything. It was like, yeah, it is a stage by definition. However, it is probably not functional. So that's (laughs) that experience. Then I went to high school and my parents did not want me to go to the high school that was next in line for, you know, when you go to public school, there's... Mm
0: -hmm, The next one up, yeah.
1: Yeah, my parents did not feel comfortable sending me to that one because there was like a graveyard in front of it. It was known Mm -hmm. for violence it just wasn't good so they sent me to this private school it was my first time going to a pwi culture shock and this school had just built a new six million dollar fine arts complex i never 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 seen anything like that before so it was the first time i saw in an academic setting a stage and it was for a 500 seat theater it was brand new like I was in awe. I was like, oh, my, I remember I was going on the tour. And I saw the sign that said theater. And I was like, dad, look, it says theater. And then you take a fine arts class. I chose theater one, obviously. And I just fell in love with it. Oh, my. I, I, I was stage manager for the musicals. I assistant directed the musicals. I acted in the fall. And I have to give props to my dad for telling me to stick with it. Because my first play I auditioned for in high school. I did not get the role, and I was just, you know, that kid type of devastated where you're just like, oh no, this is the end. <laughs> My dad told me, he said, well, stick it out. I know you didn't get it, but see if there is another avenue for you to still be involved. So um, they needed stage hands. And then I ended up impressing them so much that they decided to make me the first student stage manager they had in over six years. It would just be adults, but I was the first student one. And then, you know, I did that in the spring for the musical, The Sound of Music. And then in the next fall, I auditioned for, and then there was none. And I got the role of Dr. Armstrong. And I was so happy. I was so happy. And just going to rehearsal every night, like being a part of this group of people where, you know, for six, six weeks, you are just immersed with each other on such an intimate level. And then at the end of the six weeks, you disperse, and then you do it with a new group of people all over again. And I, I, I didn't want to do anything else. I, I knew that this is where I belong. And once I got to college, it just proved it even further. I tried to major in other things and minor in theater when I just realized theater is where I want to be. And I dropped everything else, and I just majored in theater, and I haven't looked back since.
0: Well, your love for theater is palpable. You can hear it pouring out of your voice. So, you're, So, as you said, you majored in theater at the University of San Diego. You've been in it since you were a teenager. Currently, you're at Loyola Marymount studying film, and Deeply Rooted Pictures is a film and television production company. So, do you have any intentions of going back to theater or bringing theater to Deeply Rooted Pictures?
1: Uh, yes, I have intentions of bringing theater to Deeply Rooted Pictures, although it is not at the forefront of our mission. Currently, we're trying to ground and establish ourselves in the film and television mediums and make sure that we are honing our voice and creating our list of directors, producers, and writers that we want to work with. I did have a stage reading of the first 12 pages of a play that is currently in development that will be produced by Deeply Rooted Pictures. It's called oh, congratulations. Dear Andrea. Thank you. Thank you so much. I wrote it because My last year at USD, I started going to therapy, and I am the biggest advocate for it now. And I find that a lot of the, I think a lot of the African-American community, therapy is not something that is at the forefront, or mental health issues are at the forefront, and I think it's something we would all benefit from. So I try to advocate it for as much as possible. And it's something you also don't see, once again, represented in media, are, you know, Black faces, taking care of mental health, seeking out, like, therapy and stuff like that. So I developed this play called Dear Andrea, inspired by the play and book Tiny Beautiful Things. And Dear Andrea is about an HBCU alum called Andrea who returns to her alma mater, which I created, called Freedom University. And she returns as the new community counselor. And it's the first one they've ever had. And she is there to provide emotional healing to the community through her counseling efforts. And she has to do all of this through an online portal. And so with this, we use it as a vehicle to tackle issues within the African-American community that are considered taboo. So we talk about everything from homophobia, transphobia, sexism, rape culture, The the general lack of mental health care, you know, combating racism while also trying to get an education, you know, just existing as a black person, police brutality, the patriarchy. (laughs) It's so many things because the way it's structured is that Andrea is the counselor and there are four characters in total. There is Andrea. There is student number one who represents a wide array of black male voices on a college campus. Student number two, who represents a wide array of Black female voices on a college campus. And adult number one, who represents a wide array of working Black professionals at the school. So it has this theatrical aspect to it, and this realism, but also a little bit of abstract to it, if that helps.
0: It I hope does. That makes, sense. <laughs> that makes sense.
1: I understand. Okay. I catch the
0: vision. Yeah.
1: Yeah, cause just because, you know, theater gives you a little bit more freedom. It, it mm-hmm. It's not so direct. It's not so based in realism. You have a little bit more room to play with the imagination.
0: What you've just stated, theaters, dabbling with the surreal and the unrealistic. How do you think that's affected your directing style?
1: But what I will say is that it, it draws me to more meta. I, I tend to like subjects that center around meta backdrops in meta-worlds, meta-theatrical worlds, is what I'm referring to. And I also find that it just really makes me appreciate the craft of storytelling. Not that film and television don't, but there is something about being in a live space and, and hearing and seeing your, your words and actions and story impact the audience. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, that makes sense.
1: It, especially as an actor, I, I would definitely say that theater allowed me to gain, you know, skills as an actor, which I then in turn use as a director and a writer. Because I just think about, okay, I love working with actors. So I think it's the it's the best part of the gig, to be honest with you. Being able to connect with someone and and talk with them and explore characters, explore vulnerability and emotions and there's nothing better for a director than to see an actor like especially an actor that may have struggled with a role because all actors at some point have a small struggle with their with their role hence the need for a director so to see someone <laughs> who was once struggling and then you see them break do it and then they get it it's like seeing a kid go off and you know win all the awards at their school it's it's one of the best feelings <laughs>
0: Well, I'm going to pivot back to Deeply rooted Pictures real quick. So can you take me through the process of how one of your films comes to be from conception to release? Like, what is the process for it?
1: Okay, yeah, Um, it depends. So there's two different types. So there are the films that I write, and then there are the scripts that we acquire. So I'll start with the former first. So for scripts that I write, I mean, it's pretty much a done deal. I... An idea comes to me, I jot it down in notes, I build up the courage to finally write it. (laughs) There's a lot of development that I do because one thing Deep Rooted Pictures is really big on is authenticity. We really want to make sure that the stories we are telling are grounded in authenticity, either by the script, well, it starts with the script, that's the foundation, and then through the crew and the creative team and the cast that are um, formed to bring that story to life. So there's usually a, a certain level of research that is done when we are developing scripts just to make sure the perspective is told you know, truthfully, especially if the writer or director is not directly linked to it, if that makes sense.
0: It does, yes.
1: Then once the script is written, let's say if I'm getting the script from someone, I sit down with the writer we explore their vision and their inspiration and they usually show all of their material their pitches their all the research they've done their vision for it and then we start talking about crewing is one thing that i think we take into account especially for ad's director of photography those key gaffers were very particular on those people because they have a lot of influence on the final Outlook of the project. For instance, for the short Two Boys Dancing in the Night, I wrote and directed that. And my producer was Genki Hall, who's an amazing guy. I knew in my heart that I wanted this story because it's a gay story. I wanted to make sure that the people who were involved in the leadership positions could identify with that and do it justice. I I mostly wanted LGBTQ people in most of the high-ranking positions. If that makes sense, so like I wanted Genki as a producer because I'm like, if anybody's going to help me develop it, this story, they have to know the authenticity behind it. The DP was Amelia, who's an amazing woman, amazing with the camera, she really has a great visual eye. And then I had people who were just my friends that I knew would put forth the effort to make sure that they were doing the story justice. For instance, we all know how lighting is important, especially for people of color, because we knew we wanted the leads to be people of color, specifically black. And I needed to know that the gaffer was going to light them correctly, which is, believe it or not, kind of hard to find. (laughs) And Katie Hopkins is an amazing gaffer. And I knew she would do it justice because we were in a cinematography class together. And we had a final project, which was to recreate a lighting scene from a famous film. So we had two actors. I was one of them. There was, the other student was white, and they lit him first, and then I was to be lighted next. And when it got to me, Katie stopped everything. She said, hold on, Giselle is of a darker skin tone, so we have to adjust all the lighting so that it is fit for his skin tone. And I just remember that in that moment, I was like, here is this white woman who has taken the time and put forth the energy to make sure that I am lighted correctly, which is not always happening. It seems small, but it really changes how people look. And she did it. She is amazing at it. And I I can't say enough good things about her. But that's what we do. So we get a we get the script, we sit down with, with the writer, we go over any loopholes or plot points, we make sure that What they want to say and what they are saying is on track with the main statement and message. Then when it comes to production, we make sure our crews are aligned with the director's vision and that there is an inclusion and diversity and authenticity throughout the ranks. When it comes to casting, we try to be open to casting unless there is a specific reason for us to specify with casting. For instance, you want to see like, we're looking for a Caucasian man and woman, even though there's no call for it. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yes. And that way, you know, you're not placing a bias on your casting. And when it gets into post, post post-production does its thing with editing. There's a series of cuts. Then there comes a point where you realize you could cut this forever. And this is probably the best it's going to get. So it's time to release it. Then I work with, Communications with Joey Dado, who uh, makes sure that the message and the ideas we we're trying to get across fit the brand. And then we develop artwork for it and we develop a marketing strategy. And then that marketing marketing strategy is implemented. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot. But-
0: it it <laughs> is a lot, but it just goes to show how much hard work you put in and how intense and laborious the process can be and how collaborative it, collaborative it is. So since the process that you've just described, is so collaborative. How has COVID-19 affected your ability to collaborate and create with all of these various people?
1: It hasn't affected too much because through the powers of Zoom and FaceTime, we're still able to do the development process. In L.A., things are just slowly starting to open back up for physical productions, but that really won't be, you know, streamlining really until like the fall so for now, it's all copesthetic. You know, we can still look at scripts and, and speak with all the different, you know, directors. When it starts getting tricky, it's talking to people like the Gaffer and DP because so much of their job is based on visuals, right? For instance, uh, one, one film that we, that I'll be directing that I wrote, the difficulty we're having is that we need to location scout, right? But we can't really location scout because, you know, nowhere is open. <laughs> <laughs> If you can't see the location, you can't design for the location. So it kind of delays the whole process till we're allowed to visit these places. And the, the script has, happens to take place in a school. So that is also a problem because at any type of facility, they're really big on sanitation now. That's you know making sure everything is sanitized and clean after anyone is in the room, especially in academic settings, to ensure the safety of, of their students. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten creative on how we're going to recreate a school setting while not being at a school. So yeah, it, it, it provides certain challenges. Uh, some of the films that are in line for our slate, we're having to do rewrites because there are certain restrictions you have to follow now with new COVID regulations. One film in particular has to do a page one rewrite, meaning that the whole story has to be scrapped and the writer has to start from scratch. But I try to keep, positivity and I try to uplift and motivate my team as much as possible and I tell them you know this is a challenge for you as a creative and this is actually allowing for you to create new complex ideas because you are being forced to explore the nuances that can be relayed in order to get your point home. For instance how do you convey love and attraction when you can't touch, when you can't kiss, when you can't hug? You know, you have to get creative. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's thrilling. I find it exciting. Mm
0: -hmm. One thing that I did want to ask. So I have watched your films. and They have this very artistic and high quality production value. Of course, a lot of them are released on IGTV. So since you know that a lot of your films are going to be released on IGTV, does this at all affect how you film? Since you know they'll be seen on a smaller screen than typically is expected for a film?
1: Uh, no. Because we believe in high-quality content, we want to ensure that we are using industry-standard equipment and industry-standard practices. And although it is being released on IGTV, um, we have to also remember, prior prior to COVID-19, that we were also submitting to film festivals. So we're also Mm. creating content with the intention of it being seen on the big screen, either through film festival screenings or before COVID-19 happened, we were actually in talks to have something released in a theater at LMU's campus. But unfortunately, that can no longer be facilitated. So no, we always strive for it to be released in theaters with the sound and the coloring and the imagery.
0: And you're not at all interested in like playing with the fact that the phones are a more intimate medium, so that might change how people see the work?
1: Uh, Not necessarily. And the only reason why is because there's no harm in going for the higher quality route. Especially because when, once you compress things, you oh, lose yes. a little bit of quality anyway. So it's almost like a little protective barrier. It's like, well, we kind of know it's going to be compressed. So if you produce it at a higher quality, the compressed result will still maintain a high quality feel and tone to it.
0: So here's a question that I do have. Again, as you've mentioned, you went to undergrad at University of San Diego for theater. You're currently in school at Marymount for film. And art is not necessarily one of those things that one has to go to school for in order to be successful. Hollywood is full of stories like that where people didn't go to school and they ended up at the top of the top. So why did you feel that school was necessary for your journey and how has it affected your journey?
1: Well, uh, for an undergrad, I was raised in a Black household. (laughs) (laughs) So that says about all that needs to be said. Mm -hmm. It was never really an option of if you were going, the question was, where are you going? (laughs) Um, And especially being in the South, HBCU culture is a big part of the lifestyle. So, you know, most of the childhood is centered around like going to the the college football games and the basketball games. Most of my family are also in academia as teachers. So I was always surrounded by that idea. So I... Went to college for theater because I needed a way to get out of Mississippi. I realized that, you know, I didn't want to be there anymore. I was also not out at the time. So I saw California as like this ticket to freedom. And I was like, can't really go there on my own at 18 and afford to live there. But if you go through college, then, you know, that gives you a reason to be there. And you also get education and opportunities. And I was very much looking forward to going to college. I was super excited. So when it came to masters, I think that's when the, the more conflicted I felt, because like you said, there are so many success stories of people who did not go to school for film per se. They just did it on their own. And I was telling my parents, I had this idea, I was coming up on my senior year in college an undergrad, and undergrad. I was like, yeah, I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to just have to start acting and, you know, doing the thing, getting a job. And I was doing a lot of research i do a lot of research at the time because i did not want to mess up i did not want to see my dreams dry up in front of me so all the research i showed was like you know if you want to go into acting like you can't have a lot of debt because then it's kind of hard to get a to have a job that allows you the easiness to start auditioning and doing stuff like that so i was just like okay well i don't want to go to to get my graduate degree i can't afford it and my Mom was just like, you should really go. My parents really advocated for it. I just got tired of hearing their mouth. So I was like, okay, I'll do (laughs) this. I'll go. So I did it. And it was the best thing because my mom's a veteran. So I had access to her GI Bill. So my move to LA was to go to grad school would be beneficial because I would be getting housing for it Mm -hmm. while also getting a degree, also... The big thing about going to film school is they what they tell you to do is for the networks, the contacts, not necessarily the skills you gain, if that makes sense. Because like you said, you can do it on your own. But I think that the people I've met, the networks I have created, the the things I've been exposed to has made it all worth it, in my opinion, for me. Because mm-hmm. that's what I needed. <laughs> it may not be the same for everyone else.
0: Mm. Well, you just mentioned it, that one of the big things it gave you was a network. So for a lot of people, creating this network can feel intimidating, can feel kind of sketchy. So how do you go about creating authentic connections? And then how do you go about maintaining those in a way that feels natural?
1: It's been a little bit of a challenge. It be, it's a challenge at first. Because it seems easy in practice. I'm a, I'm a people's person. I'm a social butterfly. I love, if you can't tell by the interview so far, I love talking. I like connecting with people. I like hearing their stories. We can bond over a glass of wine and I'll sit around for like eight hours talking to you. I don't even care. I'm really big on community. So it's easy for me to make friends. And mm-hmm. I, I genuinely go into new rooms, always wanting to meet new people and hear about them. So that's the easy part. The difficult part came into play because I would feel sometimes like I don't want to get to know people on the premise of using them later on. It felt so like, ew to me, so fake and phony. And I I didn't want to be that person. So for me, I just network with people who I genuinely find I want to be around. (laughs) You know, like trying to make genuine friendships. And there are some people that you meet, especially in L.A., where it's like, do you hang out all the time? No, but you genuinely care about that person. And I actually want to see you succeed because I heard your story and I I believe in you and I see your passion and I see your drive. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you and I only met once, twice when you gave me those groceries, (laughs) which I (laughs) love, which I very much appreciated. But when when we met, like seeing your work ethic, seeing your drive, your ambition and your energy, it just was like, I want to see this person win. I want to see them win. Do you know what I mean?
0: I do, because it was the same for you. I saw you on the set. I saw you directing this film and telling all these people what to do and like executing your vision so seamlessly. How could I want anything but your success?
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. I-, I think that's really what it boils down to: is finding people and hearing their stories and connecting with them first on like a genuine level. Don't just come up to them and be like, "Hey, I'm an actor. What do you do?" Oh, <laughs> you're a casting director. You don't say. <laughs> you know but what yeah, I mean? That works.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: They actually tell you a lot. You know, on it because I needed to learn more about networking effectively. It's like literally talk to them about anything, but what you do. <laughs> Don't even mention that at the forefront of the conversation, and I find that it provides for a much more like fulfilling experience, and you still get to have fun because it it honestly should be fun. Like the one thing I I think COVID has affected for me for my personal life is my ability to socialize with new people. It's allowed me to call friends and you know check up on people who you don't normally get to because you're busy, but I miss that walking into a room with all these new people and getting to know more people and hearing their stories and just being in awe because this industry is full of like stories where you're just like that happened to you that is crazy i i love that that's another part of the industry that i love See, everyone has a story everyone comes from somewhere
0: you're right everybody does come from somewhere but gazelle i want to ask you where are you going oh, that was perfect that was a great transition but <laughs> we where...
1: virtual <laughs> high five <laughs>
0: thank you but So you're on your way, clearly. You're on your way to success with deeply rooted pictures with your own personal careers. And after you, you're doing big things. So, Dazelle, how will you know when you've made it?
1: Oh, that is a question that I ponder from time to time. The, uh, <laughs> the emotionally and mentally responsible Dazelle has learned that when you make it, it's up to you. When I was in undergrad, and it's not to say that these dreams have altered since then, but I used to tell all my professors and all my classmates about these. My dad's an entrepreneur, so you just have to know that first. So he majored in economics, which mm-hmm. meant that when he heard that his child wanted to go into the arts. <laughs> he needed to make sure I knew my way around business because he was like, well, what's going to pay your bills, son? And so he made sure to teach me all of those skills. And he really, a part of my upbringing was about entrepreneurship and economic responsibility. So unlike other artists, I very much think about, okay, but still, how does this work financially? And I just would be like, yeah, I want deep-rooted pictures. It has to be this big thing. We're going to make so much money. And I want to be able to like buy my parents a house. I want to start a scholarship in my local church. I want to like buy this big house and travel and do all these things. And what I realized was, at the end of the day, all that boiled down to is I just wanted freedom. So I think mm-hmm. the way for me to know that I made it is when I feel I have a sense of freedom. That I'm not tied down by the struggles of, how am I going to pay this bill? Do you know what I mean? I know
0: exactly what you mean.
1: How am I going to get the next gig? Because when you're an undergrad or any small space, you can make a name for yourself. You know, the idea of, it's easy to be a big fish in a small pond. That was me at USD, because I worked tirelessly throughout my four years there. My senior year, I got to reap the benefits. I didn't, I didn't feel nervous anymore walking into a room to audition or pitch to my department a new project I wanted to do or that I wanted to produce. It kind of got, it got easier. So I think I'll know when I make it is when I feel that I'm at a point that I can walk into a room and feel established in that room and that people no longer have to ask what I bring to the table, but that they know what I bring to the table. There's no more question of if he can do it. Does that make sense?
0: That makes sense. You want want to be able to walk into them and have people know who you are and what you can perform.
1: Yes. I I, And, you know, not from internal thing. Like, I, of course, have the confidence. But just for others, especially in this industry, to know that if we call Dizelle, he's going to get the job done. If you see Dizelle's name associated with something or you see deeply rooted pictures associated with something, you know it's going to be of quality and it's going to have authenticity and innovation behind it. that That's when I'll know I've made it professionally. Now, personally, I still want to be able to fly around the world. I still want to get a house at Hidden Hills. I want to pay for my parents to enjoy their retirement. Pay off debt. Always. Would be a great thing. <laughs> the first big check <laughs> is going straight to the government to pay off these loans.
0: <laughs> well, this has been really lovely. This has been great. So, Feel free to tell our listeners where they can find you and where they can find Deeply Rooted Pictures, please.
1: Uh, Yes. So as we mentioned earlier, we do most of our releases right now through IGTV. So you can find me at Deeply Rooted Pictures, all one word. Um, And from there, you can follow us for any updates we have about upcoming projects or um, projects that are about to be released. And you can find all of our releases there we will be transitioning probably by the end of this year to a more permanent hosting website where you can find all of our titles and press and news and updates. And if you ever want interested in working with us, please message us through Instagram or you can email us at deeplyrootedpictures@gmail.com.
0: And would you believe it, you've just finished listening to episode four of On Their Way, a WGC production. Doesn't time just fly? (laughs) On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Baggio Alvarado, and the logo was created by Ivanka Corey. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WithGoodCo. Or tell your friends to tune in next time. Word of mouth is really how these sorts of things spread. If you really liked our episode, please consider buying our merchandise at our website, wgcproductions.com. That's how we keep everything up to snuff. You can also find our episode transcripts and show notes at wgcproductions.com. If you are a producer, director, writer, and actor like Dizel, those show notes will really come in handy because, you know, we, uh, we like to put a little something extra in there for you just so you can also be on your way, just like Dezelle. All Alrighty, alright. That is the episode. I'll talk to you guys same time next week, and until then, remember, take care of yourselves.